Hello everybody, this is Joseph P. Farrell with news and views from the Nefarium on a rainy Thursday, March 16th, 2023. I'm going to try and get through this before the next burst of thunderclaps because as you know, my little pooch just goes absolutely ballistic when it's storming. But there is some interesting news that I have to talk about because... Like all of you, I've been watching this drama about the Silicon Valley Bank and its uh, liquidity crunch when people ran uh, on the bank and, and demanded their cash. There's a lot going on here, and the conspiracy theories, needless to say, are flying fast and furiously. And please understand me, I'm not discounting any of those theories. I think there are layers upon layers with this bank failure. Uh, I'm not willing to discount any of the more uh, valuable theories out there. However, that said, I've been waiting and waiting for somebody to notice the big elephant in the room that nobody has been talking about since the bailouts of 2008 and, in fact, before that, uh, when we saw the financialization of just virtually everything on paper in the credit default swaps that have been floating around. In other words, folks, the, the big elephant in the room that nobody is talking about are derivatives. This is the big cancer eating away at the Western financial system. And ultimately, I think it's the big cancer at the heart of the Silicon Valley bank crash, an emphasis on con there, because that's what derivatives are. They've turned the banking business into a big casino. Well, finally, someone has stepped up and pointed out the obvious. And once again, we shouldn't be surprised that it's Ellen Brown. She did so recently in an article posted just earlier this week, March 12th, titled The Looming Quadrillion Dollar Derivative Tsunami. Now, folks, I've been warning about derivatives, I, you know, until I'm, I'm blue in the face. Because some estimates place the, the valuation of all these derivatives sloshing around in the system between 14 and 17 quadrillion dollars. And that was years and years ago. Now, I've noticed that they have been tailoring that number downwards quite a bit in the last 10 years. So that when derivatives are talked about at all in recent times, in, in the last year or so, it's around one one quadrillion dollars but about 10 years ago when this issue first hit in the aftermath of the bailouts the number being touted was between 14 and 17 quadrillion so they are trying to fudge the numbers themselves as just to how many derivatives are out there and here's the problem folks nobody knows but i want to read several paragraphs in miss brown's article because they're important not only to the uh, SVB failure, but they're also very important to understand for what's going on now. And I hope that those of you who've been watching other banking news will pay attention to this. 
So here we go. This is by Ellen Brown in the Looming Quadrillion Dollar Derivative Tsunami. Much of what I'm going to read you folks is by way of explaining in her words what the problem with derivatives are. And I'm going to be skipping around quite a lot in this article. It's a lengthy article, well worth your time, but I'm going to skip around and I'm going to begin right at the beginning. Quote, on Friday, March 10th, Silicon Valley Bank collapsed and was taken over by federal regulators. SVB was the 16th largest bank in the country, and its bankruptcy was the second largest in U.S. history following Washington Mutual in 2028. Uh, uh, Despite its size, Silicon Valley Bank was not a, quote, systemically important financial institution, unquote, or sci-fi, as defined in the Dodd-Frank Act, which requires insolvent sci-fis to bail in the money of their creditors to recapitalize themselves. Technically, the cutoff for sci-fis is $250 billion in assets. However, the reason they are called systemically important is not their asset size, but the fact that their failure could bring down the whole financial system. That designation comes chiefly from their exposure to derivatives, the global casino that is so highly interconnected that it is a house of cards. Pull out one card and the whole house collapses. Silicon Valley Bank had $27.7 billion in derivatives. No small sum, but it is only, <laughs> it's only 0.05% of the 55,387 billion, or in other words, 55 uh, trillion dollars held by JP Morgan, the largest US derivatives bank. Skipping some uh, paragraphs here. In 22, mega investor Warren Buffett wrote that derivatives were, quote, financial weapons of mass destruction, unquote. At that time, their total notional value, the value of the underlying assets from which the derivatives were derived, was estimated at $56 trillion. Investopedia reported in May of 2022 that the derivatives bubble had reached an estimated $600 trillion, according to the Bank for International Settlements. <laughs> And folks, again, I think that number is drastically under under um, inflated, and that the whole total is often estimated at over one quadrillion. There it is. There's the new quadrillion dollar estimate. Now, again, folks, ten years down the pike, this is down to one quadrillion from the estimated fourteen to seventeen quadrillion when the crisis first broke. So something is something is awful funny with the numbers here. No one, please notice her next words here. No one knows for sure, that is to say, no one knows for sure how much derivatives are in fact out there because most of the trades are done privately. Let me repeat that last sentence. No one knows for sure because most of the trades are done privately. 
As of the third quarter of 2022, according to the quarterly report on bank trading and derivatives activities of the Office of the Comptroller of Currency, the Federal Bank Regulator, a total of 1,211 insured U.S. national and state commercial banks and savings associations held derivatives, but 88.6% of these were concentrated in only four large banks, J.P. Morgan Chase at $54.3 trillion, Goldman Sachs at $51 trillion, Citibank at $46 trillion, and Bank of America at $21.6 trillion, uh, followed by Wells Fargo at $12.2 trillion. Now, folks, uh, what that means is that these large banks are basically playing casino with the derivatives market. A full list is here. Unlike in 2008 and 2009, when the big derivative concerns were mortgage-backed securities and credit default swaps, today the largest and riskiest category is interest rate products. In other words, the collateral of the derivative has changed, but the basic concept of the derivative has not. We'll get back to that. The original purpose of derivatives was to help farmers and other producers manage the risks of dramatic changes in the markets for raw materials. In recent times, they have exploded into powerful vehicles for leveraged speculation, parenthesis, borrowing to gamble, close parenthesis. In other words, derivatives are a repeat of what happened prior to the stock market bubble and implosion in 1929, when everything was being financialized and everything was being bought on margin and driving up a bubble. This is kind of the same sort of thing. In their basic form, derivatives are just bets. A giant casino in which players hedge a variety of changes in market conditions, interest rates, exchange rates, defaults, and so on, they are sold as insurance against risk, which is passed off to the counterparty to the bet. But the risk is still there, and if the counterparty can't pay, both parties lose. In the systemically important situations, the government winds up footing the bill. Like at a racetrack, please listen to this, folks. Like at a racetrack, players can bet, although they have no interest in the underlying asset, the horse. This has allowed derivative bets to grow to many times the global domestic product and has added another element of risk. If you don't own the barn on which you are betting... The temptation there is to burn down the barn to get the insurance. Does that sound familiar, folks? The financial entities taking these bets typically hedge by betting both ways, and they are highly interconnected. If counterparties don't get paid, they can't pay their own counterparties, and the whole system can go down very quickly a systemic risk called the domino effect. And let me repeat what I just read. The financial entities taking these bets 
typically hedge by betting both ways. Getting the picture, folks? They've turned it into not only into a casino, but they've turned it into a zero-sum game. No risk for those involved in the game. Derivatives are largely a creation of the shadow banking system. There it is, folks. Hidden system of finance. A group of financial intermediaries that facilitates the creation of credit globally, but whose members are not subject to regulatory oversight. The shadow banking system also includes unregulated activities by regulated institutions. It includes the repo market, which evolved as a sort of pawn shop for large institutional investors with more than a quarter of a million dollars to deposit. The repo market is a safe place for these lenders, including pension funds and the U.S. Treasury, to park their money and earn a bit of interest. But its safety is insured not by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, but by sound collateral posted by the borrowers, preferably in the form of federal securities. In other words, why have your money in cash in a bank when the securities, the treasuries, the bonds give you more interest? So that's the reason there's not only a liquidity crunch, but that's the reason there's a bond crunch. Because what happens if the derivatives market implodes? So to continue... This banking system, the shadow or parallel banking system, repo based on securitization, is a genuine banking system as large as the traditional regulated banking system. It is of critical importance to the economy because it is the funding basis for the traditional banking system. Without it, traditional banks will not lend in credit, which is essential for job creation, and jobs will not be created. In other words, what she's just said there, folks, is that my hidden system of finance that I've been warning about throughout several books has now become the basis for the public financial system. The one has eaten up the other. This is the reason for FASB 56, folks, and taking the federal government budget black. Skipping a paragraph here, according to a December 2022 report by the Bank of International Settlements, $80 trillion in foreign exchange derivatives that are off-balance sheet, documented only in the footnotes of bank reports, are about to reset or roll over at higher interest rates. Financial commentator George Gammon discusses the threat that this poses in a podcast that he calls The BIS Warns of 2023 Black Swan, a Derivative Time Bomb. Another time bomb in the news is that Credit Suisse, a giant Swiss derivatives bank that was hit with an $88 billion run on its deposits by large institutional investors in late 2022. The bank was bailed out by the Swiss National Bank through swap lines with the U.S. Federal Reserve at 3.33% interest. Skipping a few paragraphs again, folks. 
Safe Harbor grants the privilege of being excluded. These are in bankruptcy laws now, folks. Being excluded from mandatory stay and basically all other restrictions. Safe Harbor lenders, which at present include repo and derivative margins, can immediately repossess and resell pledged collateral. This gives repos and derivatives extraordinary super priority over all other claims, including tax and wage claims, deposits, real secured credit, and insurance claims. The dilemma of our current banking system is that lenders, uh-oh, <coughs> pardon me, the dilemma of our current banking system is that lenders won't advance the short-term liquidity needed to fund repo loans without an ironclad guarantee. But the guarantee that makes up the lender's money safe makes the system itself very shaky. When a debtor appears to be on shaky ground, there will be a predictable stampede by favored creditors to grab the collateral in a rush for the exits that can propel an otherwise viable debtor into bankruptcy. And this is what happened to Lehman Brothers. Derivatives were granted safe harbor because allowing them to fail was also considered a systemic risk. It could trigger the domino effect, taking the whole system down. The error, says Professor Skeel, was in a passage of the 2005 Safe Harbor Amendment. But the problem with repealing it now is that we will get the domino effect in the collapse of both the quadrillion-dollar derivatives market and the more than trillion dollars traded daily in the repo market. Now, I'm skipping toward the very end of this article because now we're coming to what I regard as the main point, and I want you to pay very careful attention. Alternatives that have been proposed for unwinding the massive derivatives bubble include repealing the Safe Harbor Amendment and imposing a financial transaction ta tax, typically a 0.1% tax on all financial trades. But those proposals have been around for years, and Congress has not taken up the call. Rather than waiting for Congress to act, many commentators say that we need, listen carefully, that we need to form our own parallel alternative monetary systems. Folks, there's your rush for central bank cryptocurrency. There's your rush for cryptocurrencies in general. And, folks, that's why the states are passing bullion depository measures and passing constitutional money measures. Okay? Let me continue. Crypto proponents see promise in Bitcoin, but as Alistair McLeod observes, Bitcoin's price is too volatile for it to serve as a national, global, or reserve currency, and it does not have the status of enforceable legal tender. And folks, I would argue that that is precisely the danger with all cryptocurrency, especially central bank cryptocurrency. Because let's remember, 
these people, the central banks, are the ones that created this financial mess. These are the people that pushed for allowing derivatives as a legitimate financial instrument in the first place. Are you going to trust these people to maintain the value of a cryptocurrency, especially with the threat hanging over you that if you don't behave, they will modify the value of what's in your crypto wallet? Answer, no, I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. McLeod's preferred alternative is a gold-backed currency. There we are. Not of the 19th century variety that led to bank runs when the banks ran out of gold, but of the sort now being proposed by Sergei Glazyev for the Eurasian Economic Union. The price of gold would be a yardstick for valuing national currencies, and physical gold could be used at a as a settlement medium to clear trade balances. Now, let me translate that again, folks. There must be convertibility. In other words, you should be able to use bullion as legal tender. Okay? But it's the bullion itself rather than specie that Glazyev is talking about here. In other words, it's not a gold coin stamped so many rubles or so many Krugerrands or what have you. It's the actual bullion itself. Now, I suspect that Glazyev is on to something here. I suspect that this is also part of the major reason the, the derivatives crisis is driving the creation of these state bullion depositories in the United States. In other words, we absolutely must create a parallel monetary system because the current system is corrupt, it's being run by crooks, and they want total complete control in the form of central bank digital currency. And they're trying to sneak that through, through states themselves, through the state legislatures. Uh, I don't think they're going to be successful because I think the game uh, for the bankster is over. Now, there's one final paragraph in this very important article that I want to read to you, and here it is, quote, Our tax dollars should be working for us in our own communities, not capitalizing failing sci-fis on Wall Street. Our stellar and only state-owned model is the Bank of North Dakota, which carried North Dakota through the 2008-2009 financial crisis with flying colors. Post-GFC, the global financial crisis of 2007 to 2009, it earned record profits reinvesting the state's revenues in the state while big commercial banks lost billions in the speculative markets. Ding, ding, ding. These banks were gambling on derivatives and that that turning of, of banking into a casino sucked all of the money out of local communities. This is another reason these state bullion depositories are so important, folks, because they are a basis for state banking and keeping your money local. That's where it needs to be. Uh, turning your money over to uh, the Augustine Carstens and the Christine Lagrands and, you know, all of these central banksters, the Janet Yellens, uh, or the banks associated with them. No, 
I'm all in favor of what Catherine Fitz has been urging for many years. Get your money out of the large banks, put them in a local bank, or even better, a credit union locally, and keep your money local. So, anyway, um, several state legislatures currently have bills on their books following the North Dakota precedent, and more power to them. And again, remember, folks, the key here is convertibility. You need to be able to take that certificate of deposit to your local state bullion depository and exchange it for the actual bullion. And on top of that, you need to be able to spend either at a local business. So there it is, folks. Uh, we're getting ready for the big showdown on derivatives. I'm glad that someone finally has focused attention back on the fact that the derivatives are the big elephant in the room. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the Sam Bankman frauds and the Christine Lagards and the Augustine Carstens can have their derivatives uh, and, and uh, we will have real money. That's what needs to happen. So an important article, I'll link it for you. We'll see everybody. Don't forget, tomorrow we do not have a vid chat. That'll be uh, a week from tomorrow. Bye-bye, everybody. God bless, and I'll see you on the flip side.